This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. <laughs> Kia ora. Welcome to the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast and thanks for tuning in this week. I'm your host Jordan, I'm a mum of one, soon to be two boys and a lover of all things birth and a very passionate storyteller. The goal of Kiwi Birth Tales is to empower, inform, educate and connect families from New Zealand and all over the world, talking about the things that are so often kept to ourselves or shared with only our nearest and dearest because of this taboo that seems to surround sharing stories about birth. All stories deserve to be heard, no story more important than the other, and with this podcast you'll get a variety without bias. The podcast is not intended for medical advice, I'm not an advocate for any particular mode of birth or birth care, and this platform is simply here to share these beautiful, empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. So I hope you enjoy. Okay, so today I am going to give you a bit of info and um, I guess a bit of a story about my postpartum journey. Um, A couple of weeks ago I did an awesome episode with Hannah Barrett and we talked through her postpartum journey. I've also had her on the podcast previously to share her birth story and it was really well received. Lots of you resonated with it and said absolutely we want more of those postpartum episodes. So I thought this week I might interview myself in a sense um, and give you some insights into what my postpartum journey was like. I know that I talk about a few, you know, different topics and different things on the Kiwi Birth Tales Instagram from time to time, um, but just want to cover it like a little bit more in depth and hopefully you'll find something useful out of it or you'll resonate with something in it or you'll be able to send it to a friend or family member who you might think will find it useful. Apologies if I sound like I'm out of um, out of breath, <laughs> not exercising. Um, I'm pregnant, 23 weeks at the moment, and yeah, just starting to slowly find that as my bump grows, um, and the more that I talk, the more out of breath I am. So <laughs> just bear with me. So for those of you that haven't listened to my birth story, which I believe is episode 61 of the podcast, I'll give you a really quick overview as to what my birth was like. So I was 41 and 2 when I went into labour with Jai. Um, In the evening, I was due to be induced the next day. And um, I laboured with Jai sort of all night. So my contractions were pretty inconsistent and a bit all over the place. But they were quite painful right from the get-go. So um, definitely was having to like really focus and breathe through them. I was rolling my hips. I was sitting on the birth ball a lot. Like they were, yeah. They were quite painful right from the start. I ended up going into the hospital the next morning at my midwife's recommendation. Um, I was due to be induced that morning, but she said, just go to the hospital anyway, see what happens. So went to the hospital. They checked me. I was only two centimeters, which I was like quite disheartened by because I felt like um, my contractions were really painful by that stage. 
thought I might be a little bit further along. Um, they wanted to put me straight onto the Sintosin drip. I um, advocated for myself a small amount. I wish I'd done more, but um, and asked if they could break my waters first and give me like a while to see if that does anything. So they agreed to break my waters and give me an hour, which in hindsight is not very long. Um, but anyway, so they broke my waters, gave me an hour, nothing happened. Um, then I had a nurse come in to put the drip in my hand. Um, and this is, I guess, just a bit of a side to our story, but it plays a part in how everything ended up. And love nurses. So if you're a nurse listening to this podcast, please don't think that this is a dig at you at all. Um, but I had a nurse who I can't remember if it was 15 or 20 years that she'd been away from work. And this was like her first week back. <laughs> she thought it was really funny to tell me that, which didn't give me a whole heap of confidence. I'm sure she's a great nurse, but that just made me a little bit nervous. And then it took her ages to get the drip into my hand, like hours to get it in properly. Um, I should have just asked her to get someone else, but I didn't. Anyway, I finally got the drip in my hand and then the machine thing wouldn't stop beeping. And that was just a nightmare. Like that took hours as well. So it was actually like probably lunchtime or maybe even after before I ended up on the actual Sintosin drip. Um, and I was in pain that whole time. My contractions were really, 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 really difficult to get through. Um, and I wondered when they were going to offer me some pain relief, not realizing that I had to ask for it. <laughs> um, so when she heard Joe and I talking about it, she was like, oh, you can have the gas now if you want. I was like, yes, yes, I want the gas now. <laughs> um, please. So anyway, I had the gas, uh, that made me feel quite high, like quite giddy and maybe even drunk, um, which I loved because it was taking my mind off the pain. Um, and then eventually I requested the epidural, which I got it was still only like two to three centimeters at that stage. So nothing had really happened. Um, got the epidural that took the pain away from the contractions and then um, I noticed like some pressure still feeling in the left side of my body, particularly in my vagina. So I had like all this pressure and I thought, oh, maybe that means that he's close. Um, it didn't. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, my midwife checked me in the evening. I still wasn't even five centimeters. And then we started talking about a C-section. I'd been in labor for well over 24 hours. My contractions were painful. Little did we know he was posterior. Um... We made the decision to go and have a C-section and when the obstetrician pulled him out, she said um, there was like not a very high chance that he was coming out on his own. His head was forced like right up against the left side of my pelvis so he was not in a good position. He actually had a big bubble on one side of his head where he was being like forced against my pelvis with each contraction. Um, so I was happy that we made the decision when we did wasn't at all an emergency sort of for either of us at that stage, which was nice because it wasn't rushed and it didn't feel like really, um, you know, like anything bad was going to happen. So I found the C-section a really positive experience. Knowing what I know now, I probably would have asked for skin to skin straight away to try and feed him on the table. I would have asked for some music, like a nice song to be playing in the background, but I know that those are all sort of nice to haves and um, if I do have another C-section, definitely things that I'll be asking for, but I didn't actually have a birth plan for a caesarean um, with Jai's birth and 
I hadn't done my hypnobirthing instructor training or anything like that by then. So there were lots of things that I didn't ask for that I could have. Um, but overall, really ended up, you know, feeling really positive about our C-section experience. So don't feel like I sort of really desperately missed out on anything or anything like that, which is good. I think it's important to include um, a bit about our first sort of week here. So obviously Jai was born. Um I was taken to recovery. They spray this like ice sort of spray on you to see if you can feel things. And when you can, they let you go back to your room. Uh, we Joe went home that night. Um, so it was just Jai and I. And <laughs> I remember ringing the nurse's bell like three or four times that night because I couldn't get up to get him um, to tell them that I thought he wasn't breathing properly. I was like super paranoid and anxious that he wasn't breathing like he should be. I think because I'd read these stories about how C-section babies aren't like squished when they come out. So they have all this like extra <laughs> fluid. Um, so that was making me nervous. And then every time I called the nurse, she'd be like, he's fine. He's like, his breathing's fine. You're fine. Get some rest. Um, which I don't think you ever do when you've got a baby. But anyway, um, and then a couple of times they came in to check his blood sugars and they were low. Um, he was a big baby. He was 10 pound two. And yeah, so he had low blood sugars and by 5am they were coming to take him down to special care. So obviously I didn't know any different and I'm not saying I would have made any different decisions um, in hindsight, but if a specialist comes in and tells you that your baby needs to go to special care, that's what you do, right? So they took him to special care I didn't know when I could go and see him. I didn't know how to find him. Nobody told me any of that sort of stuff. And that was about five o'clock in the morning. And then I think about eight, um, a nurse came into my room and I said, like, when can I go and see my baby? Um, and she was like, oh, you can go down anytime. I was like, well, can you show me where special care is, please? So she took me down to special care, showed me where Jai was. Um, and that was the start of our skaboo or special care unit stay a couple of things that I found difficult um about that was no one really tells you what to do like it's really it's hard particularly as a first time mom I feel like to know what to do so I didn't know if I could pick him up I don't know if I was allowed to touch him he was attached to all these different things I knew that he was like he was okay apart from his blood sugars he was fine but I didn't know anything I didn't know if I could feed him like I just knew nothing and no one really says anything to you so it took me probably like a good day or I don't know at least half a day to say can I pick him up like what's the go here um so I think looking back on that like that makes me feel really sad um I wish I'd had that information up front that I could pick him up and he's still my baby and he's still you know I still can be with him um and the main thing he needed in there was, I think it was glucose that they give him, and that came through a drip in his hand. Um, I think it was day two, that drip like burst, and so the sugar or glucose got into his, like got into his hand, and it blew his whole arm up like a balloon, um, which was pretty traumatizing. And they said that he would need to go to. Um, likely need to go to Waikato to have plastic surgery on his hand because he had this huge big black like bruise sort of looking thing and they were like oh that probably won't go away um he'll need plastic surgery like 
we'll probably send it into Waikato in the next couple of days. And I'm sort of just like thinking, what the fuck? Like my baby's like two or three days old and he's in here for this blood sugar thing. And now you're telling me he needs to go to Waikato for plastic surgery. And oh, anyway, it was a disaster, but that didn't end up happening. His arm was okay. The, the um, bruise or whatever it was went away. And eventually, um, I think it was a week after he was born, we left special care. His blood sugars were fine. He was fine. Um, yeah. So it was quite the ordeal. Like it wasn't obviously the ideal start for us. Um, but in saying that, we learned a lot of things from the special care nurse or nurses. I wish that like everybody had a special care nurse that came and lived with them for a little while that taught them all these things because we did learn a lot from them. It's just a shame that that was the circumstance that we learned it in. And I guess if we talk a bit about um, my breastfeeding journey, I feel like that was sort of the start of the end for us. One thing I wish I had done was see a lactation consultant in my pregnancy or ask my midwife to teach me how to antenatally express because she said it was fine to antenatally express and I thought I was doing it correctly, but I actually wasn't. Um, So I just thought, I can't get any. But I would leak quite a lot of colostrum in my bra when I was still pregnant with Jai, so I knew that it was there. I just didn't know why I couldn't get it. Um, and it wasn't until after I saw a lactation consultant that came to my room in hospital who taught me how to hand express. I realized I was doing it completely wrong, so it's no wonder I was getting no milk. Um, so that's one thing I definitely would have done differently, mainly because I think that could have made a big difference for Jai and his blood sugars in that initial 24 hours. Um, maybe we would have avoided the whole special care thing altogether, and maybe not. Like, you know, hindsight's obviously a um, easy thing to say that, but I think either way could have been really helpful. Um, I have quite flat nipples as it turns out, like didn't really know that that was a thing <laughs> before I had Jai, but um, in comparison to some nipples, mine are relatively flat. Um, so the lactation consultant said it might be best to use a shield. So I was using a nipple shield um, in that first week. And we were mixed feeding right from the start because Jai had to have formula um, in special care. So he was initially being fed through a nasal tube um, and I was just breastfeeding him to try and like build my supply. Um, But yeah, he was mixed fed. I feel like my milk probably came in on day maybe four. Um, I remember feeling really sick, like... I thought I was getting mastitis. I was like, oh God, this is what mastitis feels like. felt like I had the flu kind of coming on, but my boobs were like rock hard, like so hard um, and really painful. And I said something to, I remember saying something to the nurse um, in the hospital and she was like, oh no, that's like relatively normal when your milk comes in. Um, That's what it will be. And she was right because that's probably what it was. Um, And I was pumping every three hours, so I was using the pump from the hospital at that stage. Um, I also purchased an electric breast pump that would be ready for us when we got home. Um, And I was trying to hand express and all that sort of stuff in between as well, so trying to build my supply for Jai. He fed fine, like he was a hungry baby. Um, But I wish that I had asked the lactation consultant to go and see him as well while we were in the hospital, not just come to see me. Because I now know and I did suspect for a long time that he has um, a tight lip tie, so an upper lip tie, which made his latch 
harder um, and could have contributed to some of the breastfeeding issues that we had. So I wish I'd done that differently too. All these things that you think of in hindsight. Once we got home, we continued to mixed feed. Um, I actually felt like quite a bit of anxiety by that stage around only breastfeeding him. And the main reason for that was because we'd been formula feeding him or me pumping, expressing and giving it to him in a bottle. Um, I knew how much he was getting and that had become really important for his blood sugars when we were in the hospital. So when I went home, if I was only trying to breastfeed, I got really nervous that he wasn't getting enough from me. Um, and that made me feel really apprehensive about only breastfeeding and I really struggled with that feeling for quite a while. Then I got mastitis. <laughs> um, I won't harp on about it for too long because if you've heard my birth story, I would have talked about it there. But I had mastitis twice um, and that just was an absolute disaster. Like I felt so sick. It was just horrible. Um, and then at about week nine, I just decided that that was it for our breastfeeding journey. Like it was doing me more harm than good from a mental health perspective. I was waking up every two and a half, three hours in the night to pump, even when Jai was sleeping longer than that, um, and then waking up again to feed him and then pumping after. Like, I just, I wasn't coping. Um, then putting the mastitis on top of that just made the decision that that was it with our breastfeeding journey and definitely found that difficult. Like, I was sad that that time was over. Equally, I knew that Jai was okay. I knew that being formula fed was okay. <laughs> I knew that he was, you know, thriving and a big healthy boy, regardless of whether he was getting formula or breast milk. So I didn't sort of struggle too much with that decision. Once I'd made it, I just was like, that's it. That's it for us. I'm not going to um, mourn it or grieve for it for too long or sort of sit in those feelings. I just tried to accept that that's where we were at and sort of move on. It was definitely, like, I, I had heard through my podcast that breastfeeding was going to be difficult, so I don't think I was naive about that, but it was really hard, um, and I felt like my nipples were, like, a bit useless. <laughs> like, I just, I remember wishing, like, why are, are my nipples, like, slightly flat? And now I know that you can still breastfeed perfectly fine with relatively flat nipples, but you just need to use different techniques. So... This time around, something I'll be doing differently is seeing a lactation consultant in my pregnancy. Um, I'll be doing that so that she can help me with antenatal expressing, um, but also because I want the advice and guidance around feeding with relatively flat nipples um, and techniques to help with that. And then I will absolutely be seeing a lactation consultant after this baby's born as well. I think that's going to be something that I will 100% be doing. So that was our feeding journey, um, pretty short and sweet and not so sweet in some stages, but yeah, um, definitely had our challenges and if you have mastitis or you end up with mastitis, I just feel for you because it is really, really shitty. We use the antibiotics both times, um, which definitely helped and I don't feel like I could have managed without it, like I was pretty sick. Um, you just do whatever you have to do. There's lots of different techniques that you can use to try and get rid of it um, without the antibiotics, like... Epsom salts and using the sort of hucker pump and all that sort of stuff. There's lots of stuff you can do. Um, I'll try and attach it in the show notes if I can find it. But yeah, so that was a bit about our feeding journey. Another topic that um, we cover 
and we talk about these postpartum episodes is mental health. So for me, it's been quite um, a journey and I sort of have only realized that quite recently when reflecting on the whole of Jai's life, I guess. Um, I definitely noticed the baby blues, I think, around day maybe four or five um, in special care. I just like sort of cried for the whole day. And I remember one of our family members making a comment that like usually wouldn't bother me. And at this particular time, I was so bothered by it. I cried for the whole afternoon. Like I just couldn't see that the reason why I was so upset by this was because of my hormones Um, and little things like that, I guess. So I definitely feel like I noticed the baby blues, but they didn't last very long. Um, And I don't feel like I ever had sort of thoughts or feelings of postnatal depression at that stage. Like just, I, I, my mental health was pretty good for those first couple of months after Jai was born, which I was really lucky with at that stage. Um, we had planned to be going back and living in Italy. So that was always the plan for us. So we came home to have Jai, um, and then ended up going back to Italy. I think Jai was about 10 weeks old. My mum came with us. Um, there was one COVID case (laughs) in Italy, I think on the day that we left and we were like, Oh, this isn't really going to be a thing. And everyone was super naive and didn't really know what COVID even was at that stage. So we still went, uh, Mum was with us for three weeks, I think, when we got to Italy. Um, Jai was super resilient and adapted in terms of like sleep patterns and everything like that really quickly, which I was super grateful for. Um, and I think by the time Mum left, which was three weeks later, we were in lockdown. So Mum left. We were all in lockdown in Italy. Like it was pretty crazy. Um At that stage, I think New Zealand was sort of like considering what their approach was going to be. We spent another two or three weeks in isolation in Italy and then made the like split decision to come home because we didn't know what was going to happen. And obviously there was no training or playing happening for Joe. So we came back to New Zealand, um, obviously completely like different to what we had planned. I think we'd planned initially to be back in New Zealand in the off season, which would have been like June or July. So we came back in March, um, we were home for about a week, I think, and we were self-isolating anyway, um, when the level four lockdown was announced. So went straight into level four lockdown from there. We were living with Joe's family, um, super lucky that they've got a beautiful big house that fits all of us and Joe's sister was home as well. So there were lots of us, um, plus Jai obviously. And yeah, that's how we sort of, um, dealt with and were living through isolation. I guess the difficult thing for us was the unknown and like lots of people about Joe's job and what would be happening. And initially when we came home for a good, you know, month or so, maybe even two months, we were thinking we'd be going back. Like we never thought that we'd be back living in New Zealand for good. But the reason that I'm actually talking about that is because that impacted my mental health hugely. Like, I feel like we think about postpartum depression and we think the month or two after the baby's born is when that would happen. For me, and I'm self-labeling this because I never saw a doctor or talked to anyone about it, but I feel like it was about month five after Jai was born that I probably had um, some postnatal depression, like my mood swings were all over the place and I wasn't coping with the 
uncertainty and I was really overwhelmed and sad a lot of the time. I didn't want to do a whole heap of exercise and really want to like leave the house that much. Not that we could because we were in lockdown, but I was just feeling really crappy. Um, I was really snappy with Joe. I would bottle things up and then like they would build and build and build. And then I'd just have like a outburst. Um, and obviously all of that is made even more difficult when you're not only living with your partner and baby, but with others as well, because there's lots of different personalities and family dynamics anyway. Um, yeah. So I feel like during that time, like I remember, it makes me so, so sad to think about now, but I remember times where Joe and I don't usually like argue or fight at all. Um, we communicate a lot and we just like, we've never really been fighters or arguers in our relationship. But I remember like arguing with him and nagging him and being really snarky during that period and, and not, and like sort of thinking it was his fault or I don't know, not even his fault. I just couldn't, couldn't pinpoint why I was feeling like that. And I remember him asking me a couple of times, like, do you think that you're depressed? Do you think you have postnatal depression? And I'd shut him down straight away, like crying. I'd be crying. <laughs> Makes me sad. I'd be crying and saying to him like, no, I don't think I'm depressed, but I actually probably was. And I don't know if I just wasn't wanting to admit it to myself or if I didn't want to like, I didn't want his family to know that I was feeling that way or I didn't want to like be, be weak, which I know that that's not what that is. But I don't know. I just had these feelings of like these really bad thoughts and like negative thoughts during that time period. And it was really overwhelming. And that was definitely the lowest point for my mental health. So I just wanted to call that out that like postpartum depression or those feelings don't only happen in the first couple of months after your baby's born. Um, for me, it was a lot later, and I know that a lot of it was due to our circumstances, but like that was a really, really, really tough time for me. And I'm sure for Joe as well, because I wasn't like the partner that he was used to or that I wanted to be, um, and that was really difficult. Another thing that played hugely into my mental health was like my body image and the way that I felt about my body after having Jai. Um, I never really lost like the baby weight or like the weight that I put on having Jai and I felt and still do feel um, really shitty about my body and how I look and that was playing hugely into my mental health too like I thought about that all the time not only like were our lives changing and we were living on the other side of the world and then all of a sudden we're back in New Zealand and we don't have jobs and what the fuck are we gonna do like it was just those feelings on top of I feel really horrible at my, about myself. I hate the way that, way that I look. Um, I'm sort of really down the dumps about my weight and just all of that. Like I feel like that played a huge part in my mental health as well. Um, and if I use that as a segue into my body image, which I think is really important to talk about, um, I guess when you go from or – you go from any stage to being pregnant and then into your postpartum journey. If you don't look how you expected to, or you don't like your body doesn't change how you thought it might, or for whatever reason you don't um, look how you want to, that can be really, really hard. Um, for me, it was really hard. It still is really hard. Um, I don't have a lot of pictures of me with Jai when he was a little baby because I was so embarrassed about how I looked. And I think now 
I've probably like accept not I don't know if I've accepted it more or if I just am like I'm pregnant <laughs> so I don't know I don't know where I'm at with it now but I remember like at the time I think probably like we got home from Italy and that whole period of COVID like if anything I put on weight rather than lost it which is not the direction that I wanted to be going in I was just feeling so crappy and embarrassed and down about my body and that really didn't change a lot for me throughout the whole of the year um last year and into this year as well um I remember starting work and like I had some work clothes that I had when I was like relatively early in my pregnancy and I thought I'll just be able to wear those and then I tried them on and none of them fit like that is such a shitty feeling and and I just felt like crap um I've talked about this on my Instagram a little bit before and I always get lots of really (laughs) lovely messages um And also resonating messages as in, like, I feel the exact same way. And so I think it's just really important to talk about. Like, I am so, so grateful to my body for growing this beautiful, like, love of our lives child. And, you know, birthing him and everything like that. But that does not mean that I don't feel like I'm disappointed with how I look now at the moment. Um... And it doesn't mean that it makes it any easier to sort of look in the mirror and feel crappy about the way that you look. So I just want to acknowledge that. Like I'm not saying and I'm not ungrateful about the fact that my body grows these beautiful, healthy babies. Um, Not at all ungrateful for that, but doesn't change the sort of thoughts and feelings that we have about our bodies sometimes. So I guess my pregnancy now, I'm sort of dealing with that again in a way. Um but I'm trying to be more conscious of the amount of weight that I gain in this pregnancy, um, mainly because I don't need to gain a whole heap of weight. Like, (laughs) like I did in my last pregnancy, not that I really needed that either, but anyway, um, so I've just been conscious about what I'm eating. Um, I'm trying to be anyway. And then I know that I can make some positive and healthy changes after this baby is born in terms of exercise and just like, yeah, really conscious eating I'm not planning to do anything drastic but I do want to make sure that this time is really different for me because I know that that played a huge part in my mental health as well and it's just not nice to feel shitty about the way that you look um so that is something that is really important to me in terms of relationship changes so this is another um, list of questions that are in the postpartum topics I feel like um Joe and I have always had like a pretty strong and um really nice relationship really I don't know how else to explain it but like we're we're really supportive of one another and um I am absolutely not suggesting that a baby makes everybody's relationship stronger (laughs) please do not take that as my messaging but for us um if anything that's all it's done like I feel like we've made it through like the toughest times in our relationship in the last year and a half um losing jobs and moving countries and living with family and not knowing where we're going to be and all of that sort of stuff. Like that's been a lot for us. Um, but we've never like, not once have I felt like, Oh, this is a really low point in our relationship. Um, we've always been so supportive of one another and I'm just so, I'm so grateful for Joe as a partner. I think, um, one of the main things that I've loved throughout this experience is watching him grow as a dad like he's always been 
such an amazing dad, but I think just like the things that he does for me and for Jai and for our family, like I just, I feel so proud of him as a partner and as a dad. I just, yeah, really, really proud of our relationship and our little family. That's not to say that things haven't been like trying at times. Of course they have, but like, I feel like he really is my rock and support system through everything, which is yeah, really amazing. I'm just so lucky to have him. Um, in terms of intimacy, so I know that we talk about that a lot on the podcast as well. Um, I obviously had a C-section, so you still have a period of time where you're like recommended to not have sex. I think it's still six weeks. I'm pretty sure we waited at least six weeks um, and then started having sex again. I don't remember it being painful or anything like that at all. I do remember being so exhausted that like sex wasn't really something that I was often thinking about like it's not like I woke up in the morning and I was like man I'm tired but I feel like having sex <laughs> um yeah I feel like like my sex drive definitely changed um after having Jai Joe and I used to have like a really um healthy like most days if not every sort of second day sex life and and after having Jai it definitely hasn't been that um I think that's more driven from me and has absolutely nothing to do with Joe it's not like I don't want to have sex with him or I don't find him attractive. It's more just that I feel like the mental load that I bear sometimes and how tired I feel just doesn't leave space for anything else. Um, but absolutely we have found like some kind of rhythm. I mean, we're pregnant again, right? So we must be having, (laughs) having, um, some sex. So yeah, I feel like we found a bit of a rhythm. Um, and there were periods there where it was far less, particularly when I was feeling really shitty about myself and in that really poor mental state. I think that as I came out of that, that changed. Um, and obviously now I'm pregnant again, so that changes things again. I think one thing that's been like really nice and important for us is remembering that sex isn't actually the only option for intimacy. Um, there's lots of other things you can do outside of having just pure sex. Um that still make you feel good and are pleasurable and really good for your connection. So I think that's been like quite nice for Joe and I. We've um, sort of found like quite a good place for that. I'm sure we'd both be like love to have more sex than um, what we are at the moment. And I'm sure that this is just like a season in our relationship where things are like slower than what they usually would be. And I've got no doubt that that will change Um as the sort of seasons change that we're in in our life. But he's just like the most understanding and supportive partner. And um, he never pressures me or makes me feel like I'm a shitty partner. If I'm feeling exhausted or just don't feel like having sex or, you know, whatever, he never, he never makes me feel bad about that. So I feel like open communication for us is really helpful there and actually just helpful in our whole relationship like I'm a real communicator um and he puts up with me (laughs) my sensitivity and my crying and whatever um a lot but I feel like communication is really key for us to be and remain on the same page it's just super important so um yeah I'm just really grateful to have Joe as my partner and as Jai's dad I just feel like I've hit the jackpot because he's definitely um yeah, he's a good one. In terms of how we manage like the the load between Joe and I with Jai, um, 
Joe has been like the stay-at-home dad for Jai pretty much since I went back to work when Jai was about seven and a half or seven months old. Um, so he's done a lot of the stuff that I guess I would have usually done had I have been at home, um, which I feel like has been really nice for them. Like their bond is so strong and I just love watching them together. Um, I feel like, yeah, that's been a really nice thing for us to be able to do in this experience, I guess. Um, but we definitely share like all of the responsibilities, um, in the house, like Joe's really helpful with the cooking and cleaning and he does a lot of that stuff just naturally. Like it's, it's something that's, um, important to him and he's also a really good cook, which is super nice for me, but not so great for my weight. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so he does a lot of that stuff. He's obviously home with Jai a lot of the time. Um, he does a lot of the daycare drop off and pickups now that Jai has been at daycare. Um, and I feel like that daycare time has been also really important for Joe. So he's working now, but even when he wasn't working, um, having Jai and daycare for a couple of hours, a couple of days a week was really important for him to just have some space and some breathing room and actually like remember that he has passions outside of being a parent too. So I feel like it's been really nice that I can see that from his side and also he can see it from the stay-at-home parent side. Um, he's got a totally different view of... I feel like of parenting than a lot of his friends because he's actually, he's done it. So I've been really lucky in that sense. And I think if I'm staying at home more with this baby than he is, that will really help us in terms of expectations and that sort of stuff, which is really nice. Um, But yeah, he's definitely like, it's definitely not me that does the majority of things at home and work. Like he absolutely um, appreciates that um, I've, I'm, working and like his role is different to mine at that time and now that he's working too we're just like managing through what that looks like for us now in terms of going back to work um so like I said uh, I went back to work I think Jai was yeah in between seven and seven and a half months I didn't expect to be going back to work I think um COVID really did force that and I know I don't want to sound ungrateful that I was able to get a job you know, at that time after COVID, um, obviously so grateful, but I did feel forced into it because we didn't really have any other options at that stage and we didn't know what we were going to be doing and I, we needed some money coming in. So, um, yeah, I went back to work. I think the interesting thing for me is like, I've always been really ambitious and career focused before having Jai. Um, and I still am ambitious and, and career focused, but I think in a different way, So, um, that's been a really interesting shift for me, but I did find that once I went back to work, I felt like I had like a, um, a different sense of purpose. So obviously got a lot of purpose and and that sort of fulfillment through being Jai's mum, but I did also get some professional fulfillment and being back at work and having that time and feeling like I was using my skills that I had developed and worked for over all of those years and, that was quite nice. I think the most difficult part for me was managing the guilt of being away from Jai and really missing him and Joe when I was at work, particularly when I went away. So the travel has been difficult for me definitely um, in terms of managing that. And I'm lucky to have a flexible employer who, you know, I can work from home and different things like that. But 
that doesn't mean that there isn't travel at times and different things that I have to be away for, which I find definitely difficult. I know that I talked about that sort of guilt, um, and I know we have guilt in all different roles, regardless of whether you're a stay-at-home mum or a full-time working mum or somewhere in between. Um, I know we all have guilt, but in terms of like that working feeling and, and being guilty for doing that, I think um, one message I got from someone once was that they try to remind themselves every day that they feel guilty that um, they're supporting and helping their family financially. And I think that's a really good point. And it's really nice if you can remember that. I think for me, it's it's reminding myself and actually thinking about those things that I find difficult. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've found a solution for the mum guilt. I don't know if it ever goes away. Um, but definitely... I think there's a side of me that really loves working and then there's the other side of me that really wishes I was at home with Jai and I think those will constantly be um, battling one another, those two sort of driving forces and and different feelings. And then obviously have um, Kiwi birth towels, which I am just like so passionate about and don't ever feel like it's work, um, which is really nice. And your birth project, which I feel the exact same about, which... Those two things are, um, like, I'll never give them up. Like, I just feel like they're my real passion areas. And I'm lucky that I get to do that on top of my full-time job. I would love for it to be more of my job. But at the moment, that's that's not where it's at. So managing that on top of my full-time job can be really difficult. Um, I need to ask for help more. <laughs> I need to outsource. Like, I know there's lots of things that I need to do. Um I guess sometimes that mental load just becomes like too much and it's almost easier for me to just get things done rather than think about how I can outsource them. And I don't know if that makes sense to anybody else, but I just, yeah, sometimes that bearing the weight of that feeling of trying to find help sometimes feels like more too hard than helpful. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But again, I'm really lucky that Joe is just so supportive and, He's such an advocate of me and everything that I do. And like, I've always got different ideas and he's so, he's always so supportive of me. Like, I'm sure sometimes he sits there and think like, oh my God, this woman is crazy. Um, where does she get all these ideas from? But he's just so supportive and I'm lucky that, um, he's like that and just, yeah, feel super grateful to have him. And obviously we've got great family support around, um, in Tauranga as well, which is super nice. So we have lots of help. Um, and I think that's key when you're going back to work, We've got routines and and those types of things set up, which is really important. And we openly communicate if we're feeling like overwhelmed or like one person's doing too much. We have those conversations rather than let it just like boil over into something more, which I think um, is a real key for us. When I think about um, friends, (laughs) I think like my friends, oh God, I'm, I'm a useless friend sometimes. Like there's friends that I have, I just wish I like, caught up with or can catch up with more I just feel like I'm like constantly being pulled between a thousand things and um I don't feel like I see them enough I'd love to see them more I just yeah sometimes I feel like a really shitty friend and that's just another thing to add to the mental load right but um definitely I think my friendships have changed in terms of like um you see people less and it's harder to keep in contact well that's what I've found anyway um particularly working like that just sort of adds another layer to it so 
when I do see my friends, I'm really appreciative of that time, even if it's just a catch up um, over a message or over the phone. Like I'm just, I'm really grateful for those friends. Um, I feel like um, that's something I need to try and do better or more of is make more of an effort with my friends to see them more often and it doesn't have to be for a whole day or half a day it can just be like a quick catch-up but they're really important to me and I know that that is something that's important to me so definitely need to do more of that but I feel like our relationships of course um have changed and um I think that's pretty natural and normal in this sort of season of life feel like I've been talking for hours <laughs> um there's a couple more things on the list so one of them is sleep um I feel like Jai has actually always been a pretty good sleeper like I remember even when we brought him home from the hospital he was doing like five or six hour stretches um every night and we we're really lucky with that uh, I think coming back from Italy he was probably like four-ish months and that was a hard time because he was sort of going through that first like development change or regression or whatever you want to call it so we were using um awake windows as our sort of routine guide and we also worked with a sleep consultant um closer to six months I think when I knew I'd be going back to work because Jai was waking a lot in the night um and I'm someone who can't function on that little sleep particularly not for that long a time and, and also not when I'm like traveling and working full time I think um, there's lots of opinions out there about sleep training and I'm definitely not trying to force mine on you. Um, but that was what worked for us. Like we did a few different techniques with the sleep consultant to help Jai to get some better sleep at nighttime and also have some more consistent day naps. And honestly it was life changing because we got better sleep. Um, and I wasn't so tired all the time, which did make a big difference, particularly in going back to work. So that was really um, important for us and saying that Jai's definitely just been through an 18 month regression or development change, whatever you want to call it. And he was waking lots of times in the night um, and he wouldn't go back to sleep for like a couple of hours and he was waking up at 4am and he wasn't going to bed and oh, it was just like, felt like having a worse than newborn again <laughs> um, because he's so aware and like he wants to get up when you go into his room and all that sort of stuff. So I think that's been a difficult period. We've sort of had to do um, a bit of gentle like re-sleep training or whatever you want to call it to help him um, sleep well in the night again. But he still needs our help to go to sleep. And at the moment that's working for us. May not when we've got two babies. So we'll just have to work through that then. But yeah, I think sleep's a really personal thing to everybody. And I know that lots of people have like quite strong opinions around it. So um, definitely not advocating for either just saying that that's what worked for us and I've also had um, quite a few questions I guess before we finish up about what my next birth plan is <laughs> um, and I've like quite purposefully kept my thoughts on that relatively close to just me because I think it's quite a personal um, decision making journey that you go on particularly after you've had a c-section birth so um like I said earlier I don't have any like ill feelings or negative thoughts around our c-section with Jai um and I think it's really interesting when people ask me on the podcast um Instagram page am I planning on having a v-back um at the moment my answer is I've got no idea I think um I think a lot about Jai and what my birth might be like and 
if I do have a C-section, what does that mean for him afterwards? Like he still likes to be picked up a lot and we carry him around places and I love to give him cuddles and all that sort of stuff. And Joe will be working more. I just wonder, um, I guess, how a C-section and recovery would play into that. Um, but interestingly, when I talked about that on my stories the other night, I had a lady message me who had a um, VBAC, so the vaginal birth after cesarean, and she ironically, but not ironically, like not funny, but just the way that she messaged it was funny. Um, she ended up with a birth injury, which she then was on bed rest for like a couple of weeks for, and then ended up in the same place that she was trying to avoid anyway. And she said to me, like, I'm not trying to freak you out. And I know that I wasn't freaked out by that. She was trying to say to me, like, be selfish and think about yourself and what you want from your birth rather than thinking about your children because things don't always go to plan, which I think is just a really great reminder. Um, yeah, but I guess in terms of thinking about like an elective or a, a VBAC, I'm still working through that. Um, but the one thing I get really, not really frustrated about, I think you get a bit of a thick skin when you've got a social media platform because everybody messages you their opinions or thoughts like often, which I love, but um, also can sometimes be a bit much. Um, particularly when it comes to our thoughts around birth. I think it's so interesting that we have this really, a lot of us have these really strong um, opinions and thoughts on birth and we're not afraid to talk about them. And I think having a VBAC is, or thinking about a VBAC is, is a time where I've really experienced that. So if I talk about a VBAC and lean towards an elective C-section, I'll always get messages saying, oh, I so hope that you have a VBAC and you get to experience how powerful a woman's body is and how empowering that is. And I actually find that message and communication really frustrating, even if it's not the intention of the person, because I did feel empowered and strong through my C-section experience. Like I didn't once feel not that way, but having messages come in like that makes me feel like um, other people are taking that away from me. So I guess, yeah, I guess I just, um, I feel like we need to change the narrative a wee bit around drug-free vaginal births being the only way to have an empowering birth. Absolutely, I'm sure for a lot of people that is a really empowering experience, but there are also lots of other ways to birth our babies that are just as empowering and make us feel just as good. So I think, um, yeah, I, I'm still ongoing in that journey of deciding where I want to go and I don't have to make a decision right now or sort of anytime soon which is nice I'm really just working through that with my midwife and talking about our different options and making you know small plans and um yeah just thinking about everything sort of with a really holistic view um trying to understand what's important to me um what do I want to achieve through this birth and how do I want to feel afterwards and how can I put steps in place to um, achieve those feelings? So I just wanted to call that out, I guess. Um, it was actually a main driver for me in creating your birth project after I'd done my hypnobirthing instructor course was like a lot of the messaging and content I was seeing around hypnobirthing and calm birthing was all so focused on one particular type of birth. And I don't think it needs to be that. Like I the course is purposefully inclusive of all different types of birth because I don't think that we should be um, so focused or attached to as a 
um, as a culture or I don't know, it's maybe it's not our culture. I don't know what it is, but to this one type of birth, I think that we should be acknowledging that lots of people have really different births and they don't always go to plan. And sometimes intervention is actually needed and that's not a bad thing. And it doesn't mean it can't still be empowering and beautiful. And I just really wanted to like encourage those feelings of, empowerment and preparation and mindset are so important in that so that was the real driver for me with your birth project and I feel like through some of those like beautiful testimonials and birth stories mums are absolutely achieving that and I just feel really proud of that so I guess that's a side note but it's I feel like it was important for me to call out like I don't I haven't made any decisions around my birth in September sometime likely um but whatever I do decide, I'll feel confident in, um, and I don't want to feel like any pressure from anywhere that I have to have a VBAC to feel strong and empowered because I absolutely disagree with that messaging. And then the final thing, sorry, I know I've talked for hours, <laughs> um, the final thing that uh, is on the list in terms of postpartum is around newborn essentials. And I was thinking about this this morning, like, you Jai didn't actually need much, right? Like he needed me to love him and care for him. <laughs> he needed to be safe and warm and fed. Um, and everything else on top of that was sort of a bonus. But some of the things that made life easier for us when he was a newborn were um, really good stretchy uh, swaddles. So we use swaddles. I know there's lots of information going around about that at the moment. You can do your own research, but we will probably definitely be swaddling this baby um so that was important white noise I feel like was really helpful our co-sleeper was really useful and the main reason for that was with the c-section um it was really painful getting in and out of bed so having a co-sleeper there where I could just pull him into bed with me and feed him um was really helpful so I really like the co-sleeper we'll definitely be using that again um so I had a dummy from like basically day dot and I felt like that was quite helpful because he did want to suck a lot um so that was essential I guess for us we loved the front pack and we had a really nice stretchy wrap for when he was little from I think it's Chico is the brand I'll see if I can find it and attach it in the show notes but it was a really beautiful material stretchy wrap um so definitely we'll be using that a lot with this baby too I feel like that was probably our main list of essentials. Um, yeah, I think there's lots of lists that you can find um, that will tell you you need lots and lots of different stuff, but those were probably our main ones. Um, I hope that you find that helpful. I hope that you found this episode helpful um, or you can resonate with it in some way or it's just been nice to listen to whatever you've been doing for the last 50 minutes, um, keeping you company. Either way, um, I'll definitely be bringing you more of these postpartum episodes. I think they're really important to include and talk about. Um, super passionate about that just as much as I am about birth, so I definitely want to include more of that. I will have more um, or another birth episode coming for you this week, so keep an eye out for that. Otherwise, thank you again for joining me this week. Um, if you loved the episode... I'd love for you to leave a review, particularly if you listen on Apple Podcasts. really helps other people find the podcast if you do that. Um, interact with the post on Instagram because I love to hear from you about how you found the episode, 
what resonated with you or just, yeah, anything that you um, want to say about the episode. I'm always really grateful when you chat with me about it. So feel free to leave a comment or send me a message. Or if you're not on Instagram and you still want to chat about how this episode made you feel, then feel free to send me an email, um, kiwibirthtales at gmail.com. And other than that, I will speak to you next week. Thanks again for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.